Um, so I did a little research this week. It's a big deal. Really big deal. This doesn't happen often. But who <laughs> times are going to change without us? Now, what I'm saying, I'm not talking about giving up our values, giving up our morals, giving up our identity in Christ. That will never change. That will stay the same today. We believe what Jesus has told us to do, the way that he's told us what things are good, what things are bad. But culturally, we need to be developing with, with the times. Amen? Who's confused yet? Good. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. So I did a little research. In the 19th century, 19th century, the car was first created. So, I didn't know this, but it's pretty cool. People hated that cars were being developed and created and manufactured. They hated it. They, um, there was multiple reasons for them hating this. The first thing is that they were super, super loud. These, like, random machines. Everybody's riding horses and walking and chariots, stuff like that. But all of a sudden, these big old machines start coming in. I don't know if chariots is the right word. <laughs> That's more of like some medieval time. I'm not, I'm, I'm young, I'm sorry. So these big machines came out. They are loud. People didn't like the sound of them. They were fast, fast. Uh, they were super smoky. It says that like you could just see the smoke coming from these machines. Um, they destroyed people's roads that they've been riding on for years and years, and all of a sudden these machines come and destroy their roads. Uh, reckless drive. this is true, there's accounts of this, reckless drivers with cars that only go up to like five miles an hour would somehow run over their livestock. I don't know how, it doesn't make sense to me, but it happened, and so people didn't like them for that. Um, they would constantly, reckless drivers be hitting livestock and stuff. So the first thing that people did right when these cars came out is they came out with these laws to prevent them from doing things that they shouldn't do. So one of the laws was you could only go two miles per hour in the city. That's it. You can go two miles per hour in the city. You can only go four miles per hour in the county. That's it. Another law that they created is a man must stand in front of your vehicle the whole entire time that it's driving. I'm serious. You had to stand in front of your vehicle and walk your vehicle. You, you were inside of a car, but somebody had to walk in front of you. Where would we be today if we didn't have cars? Home. <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't expect that answer. That's a good one. What, what would our jobs look like if we didn't have cars? What would our stocked in? I know that you need your trucks and your vans. So imagine if you didn't have them. We wouldn't be able to get things done. But people hated it for it. People hated that the times were changing. And so these people that didn't change with the times, they had to walk while other people started driving and having these amazing things. And now we have cars that can go 200 miles per hour. We can have trucks and cranes and all of these things that help us develop. But it's the same for the church of God. We need to develop with our culture, with our community, with the people in the United States. Now, I'm not saying that we start believing this weird stuff that goes against the Bible. That's not it. We keep our core values. We keep what Jesus says because it's going to be relevant today. It's going to be relevant tomorrow. It's going to be relevant a thousand years from now. It's still the word of God. But we need to start looking different at how, how we, we move with them. Because if we don't move with them, we're going to be left behind. Amen? 
That's true. Thank you. I heard something that says the second that a tree stops growing is when it begins to start dying. The second that a tree or a plant stops growing, it starts its life of death. There's no more growth. And we need to make sure that we are constantly developing new skills, that we are constantly developing new ways to preach, new ways to sing, new ways to do this stuff, new ways to communicate with people. We need to move with our culture so that we don't lose track of what they're doing so they don't lose track with us. Because if we're not relevant, how are we going to preach to them the gospel? If we're old school style, nobody wants to listen to us, how are we bringing new people in here? Amen? It's an intense word. I'm sorry. But I just felt like God was just speaking it over us. And just, we need to start going after the lost, whatever it means. Jesus needs these lost people. This church needs these lost people. We need to bring as many people in with us. And so if that means maybe I don't like this worship song, then so be it. When is it about us? Maybe I'm tired of us repeating the chorus 15 times. Sometimes I do too. But what if it's for somebody that needed it? What if there was somebody that needed to hear that again or needed to hear that sermon one more time? We need to start looking at them and stop looking at us. Amen? Awesome. Let's bring up the offering. I'm not good at this. I'm sorry. I don't like talking when everyone's quiet. You need to yell at me. Preach it, white boy. Thank you. Woo! I feel better already. Uh, well, Father, Father God, I just praise you, Lord. I bless you. I thank you, Jesus. Just for what you're doing, and I pray that we develop what you are doing here, Father, that we don't get left in the past, that we don't watch people drive away when we had an opportunity to also get in that car, Father. I pray that we don't look at this as as a um, a difficult process, God, or we don't look at this as something that you're not for, Lord, because you are. And I truly believe that if you came back today, you would be a millennial and you would be amazing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. (laughs) I mean that. Good morning, church, and welcome to The Light. Here's what's coming up this week at The Light. It's not too late to join our Wednesday night study group. This is held on Wednesdays at 6.30. It's a study on the Holy Spirit. Make sure to come and attend to see what it's all about. The Light Kids will be hosting a movie night tomorrow at 8 p.m. This is a movie for the students and parents. Make sure to bring your blankets and lawn chairs because this movie will be outside. Popcorn and drinks will be provided for all that attend. Young adults will be happening this Saturday at 7 p.m. We are beginning our in-depth studies and teachings. If you know anybody within the age of 18 to 40, make sure to come and attend. That's it for this week's announcements. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and look at our website to make sure you find about all of our upcoming events we have here at The Light. One act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
There is a lot going on. Morning, church. So um, if you guys are, have more questions uh, about that video, just see Mark Broughton. He's got a table that's set up um, out here in the uh, fireside room. Um, you can see him after church, and he'll be able to answer any questions if you guys are interested in that. Um, just see Mark Broughton. He's standing there by, right by the door if you guys don't know who Mark is. If you don't know who I am, I'm Jason Sevesta. I'm the youth pastor here at the church. We just got back from camp last week. We had an amazing camp. Everyone's wearing, me and Austin at least, are wearing the same jacket. Pictures. Um, every time I put on the same jacket Austin does, he wants a picture of it. But um, if you see my, my jacket and you get kids, those of you that I've talked to, you guys can start coming on up. Um, we're going to share a little bit with you guys this morning. The theme of our camp this year was New Era. Um, there's a clothing brand, New Era, which kind of means nothing to me. Uh, but the definition, and this is from Google, the New Era definition is a fixed point in time from which a series of years is reckoned, a memorable or an important date or event, especially one that begins a new period in history of a person or thing. And that's exactly what happened this week, guys. We took kids... We took kids to Dallas, Texas. If you guys aren't aware of this, we took 31 uh, people out to Dallas, Texas this week. Um, and lives were changed. Uh, we had just an absolute impact uh, of things that happened. God moved out there. Uh, have you guys ever gone on a trip and you felt like you forgot something when you're kind of coming home? You get in the truck, you start driving, it's like, oh, I forgot something. Well, we did. We forgot, and we left a lot of things in Dallas. And what I'm saying that we left in Dallas was depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. We took all that stuff to Dallas and we left it there where it belongs, in hell. Um, not that Dallas is hell, but it was hot, man. <laughs> Woo! Um, but man, we just had such an incredible experience. Uh, Michael, go ahead and will you play that video, that first one? Will you guys kill the lights completely, please? Some of you guys please? will be standing in this circle and this will be the last time you're standing as the person you are. Okay? You're going to go to camp and something's going to happen this week, you guys, and the person that you are may die, okay? And you may find a new identity in Christ this week. So I want you to think about that. The things that you guys want to release, the things that you guys want to let go, the things that are holding you back uh, from just experiencing life to its fullest, that person may be, this may be the last time we stand in the circle with that person. And on Friday, we might be standing with a whole new being. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. On, on uh, Monday morning before camp started, I had everyone kind of stand in a circle. <laughs> and I told them, I said, I want you guys, if you couldn't hear the audio on that, I said, I want you guys to look around and look at the people in the eye because that person might be dead. And when I said that, I, I mean, the eyes and the mouths just opened. We thought we were going to die, like on the road or something. But what I was talking about is this verse in Colossians 3, 5, and it says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And that is exactly what happened. Some of the people that we were standing in the circle with, absolutely, that person is no longer exists. And we were so excited. I mean, we took people out there, suicidal thoughts, and that is dead, that is gone. And God has moved in these kids' lives. I'm going to let some of them share before I give you guys this quote. 
In any given moment, we have two options, to step forward into growth or to step backwards into safety. And our youth group is starting to step forward into growth. We're moving forward, and we're not going back to the old ways. All right, guys, I got, I got some incredible testimonies. I hope they're all ready to share. Um, come on, Austin. Uh, this week, I was really looking forward for this year for what God did for me last year, and with that, God did more than I thought he would. I was prophesied over, and I was told I was going to be a pastor, and I was told I was going to have a wife and four kids, with two of my kids being pastors as well. I was slain in the spirit. I received my uh, spiritual language, and um, one that really stuck out to me, and uh, God gave me peace and comfort, and uh, the courage to forgive my molester, which I've had so much hate over and uh, hurt over for like three years now. And now all that hate is left in Dallas. <laughs> um, so one thing I really got out of the entire camp is um, hope because I, I wasn't prophesied over or taken up to the altar, but I feel like I still got so much out of it and that like, I didn't need to be up there um, getting prophesied over, slain in the spirit, but I was given hope and um, looking forward to the future of what God will do for me. I'm a leader um, for Sozo, um, but what's really cool about this camp is that they don't neglect the leaders um, through this process. Um, while our kids are having fun and playing games, we're also getting fed and just getting rocked by the Holy Spirit, which is so cool. Um, so we are sowing seeds and producing the growth that we need as leaders to come back and be led, better leaders and carry on this awesome Holy Spirit um, experience with our students. So. Um, it's just so awesome. So thank you guys so much for all of your support financially and prayer. Um, it means more to us as leaders and students than um, you guys could understand. All right, guys. Oh, my gosh. Um, it was amazing to see all of these kids and these students because they were so hungry and they were so expectant because they wanted to feel something. Um, uh, every single student were, uh, was worshiping, even if they didn't know what that meant, because they knew that if they did, they were going to receive something. They were going to receive a word. They were going to receive encouragement or hope. Um, just some testimonies. We had uh, salvation um, with one of our boys. We had um, in the crowd, there were people that would bring up their drugs and leave them on the stage. They'd bring their blades. They'd leave them on the stage. And then the leaders would right away go to the toilets and flush them. It was just like every year I go to this camp, which is the second year only, but... Um, it's amazing, and it really gives me hope and encouragement. Um, so, like, when you guys and you guys investing in us is just a really big deal, and we we thank you guys very much. I got people running from the microphone. I can come to you. Come on, you good. Okay, um, so this youth camp was amazing. Personally, for me, it was really cool seeing a lot of people get the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, like, before this whole camp, I was, like, really depressed and stuff because of a lot of stuff that happened. And then 
I went to this camp, and one night they were all praying for me, and then the Holy Spirit went inside me. And, like, it was a really funny experience as well because, like, as my legs were going limp and I was starting to fall over, I was like, guys, my legs are going limp. <laughs> and they're just like, we got you, bro. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Ah! And it was just really interesting, and I stopped crying in my sleep without knowing it. And it was just really a cool experience. I would recommend it for any Christian who would really like to feel something different and new. That's good, bro. When I went to the camp, I was deciding I'm atheist and I'm not going to listen to all this bull. And I barely left an opening and then God just took over me, whether I liked it or not. And the first night I started listening, the second night I was praising, every night I was crying. And then Carla came up to me one day and told, or like, right before we went to sleep, she was telling me she saw an image of a cage and I was in that cage and God was opening it and telling me I need to speak up and I can't hide my emotions and that he's he's going to use me for something big and that like I have authority and stuff so we went with three atheists but we didn't come back with three atheists Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is exactly what happened, guys. Incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. Um, all right, we're going to be up here. Madi? Madi really wants to share. She really, really wants to share. We're not going to make Madi share. Just say you had fun. I don't want to talk much, but I want to say that it was life-changing and really fun. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. We cannot thank you guys enough for what you have done for us and what you've done in these kids' lives. We're so happy. Um, we've got another video that's a little bit more exciting than the first one. Will you guys completely kill those lights and then crank that to 10? Give me a new mind means give me a new perspective. Give me a new perspective. Give me a new way of looking at my situation. Give me a new way of looking at my circumstances. Get my mind ready for this year because when I get this year, there's going to be blessings. There's going to be miracles. There's going to be opportunities. Oh, yes, there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some tests. But even the struggles are an opportunity for me to show off the victory if my mind can handle the change.
Sounds like they had fun. Wish we were there. All right, guys. Um, man, we're going to have a miracle. I've got a one-hour message and 15 minutes to give it. No, seriously, um, I'm going to share. I, I feel like the Lord has put this on my heart. Um, what am I, when, I, when, I got first, when I first got saved, Matthew 24, it was just like, man, that, that passage of Scripture just really, really, really stuck with me, and I kept going back to it, you know, time and time again, um, and it's, uh, some of you will remember, it's when the disciples uh, asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, we have this on the screen, Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples. They came up to him and called his attention to the building and he said, do you see these things here, he asked. And they're talking about, you know, the, the temple, um, you know, Solomon's temple and then the temple, Herod, what they call Herod's temple. You know, many considered it, you know, like one of the, the, you know, seven wonders of the world. It was just so incredibly magnificent. I mean, just absolutely stunning and beautiful. And if you've been to uh, Jerusalem, um, I mean... The, the construction of this, this this thing and some of the some of the uh, stones are still there. Uh, I mean, these some of these stones are so just so precise. Um, I mean, there was I think there was one particular stone that we saw when we were there that was just like made up the temple. Um, that I think they said it would have taken seven semi trucks today, seven semi trucks to move that stone. And, you know, they didn't have semi-trucks in those days. And these stones are so precise that you could not, I mean, the, the cutting of the stone is so exact that you could not slide a piece of paper between these stones. It's just so amazing, the construction. And so the disciples are coming out. This is kind of right toward the end of Jesus' ministry. And they come out, and they're, they're like, you know, I mean, it's hard to miss, but they're like, Jesus, look, I mean, look at this. Look, look, at, look, at the, look at this temple. Have you ever seen anything like this temple? And Jesus says to them, I want to tell you that there is a time that's coming that not one stone would be left upon another. And think about the stones that I just mentioned. I mean, stones that, that would take, you know, six or seven semi-trucks to move and they're saying to Jesus, or Jesus is saying to them, not one of these stones is going to remain upon another. I mean, it's just like it's an insane statement. It would be like if you and I were walking through New York City a number of years ago, uh, like on September the 10th of 2001, and I were to say to you, you see those two buildings up there? I'm telling you that these buildings that took you know, 10, 15 years to build, they're going to all come down in one hour. And you would say, man, you're crazy. You're crazy. But a day later, on September the 11th, 2001, both of those buildings came down. The temple that Jesus was speaking about came down in the year 70 AD. Jesus had been re rejected by the Jewish leaders, 
by the priests, by the rabbis, and by the people of Israel. And because of their rejection, remember Jesus that said that he walked around, he went around Jerusalem weeping and crying over the city and said that, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only knew the hour of your visitation. And so, back to the Scripture here, and Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately. So, you know, they're walking through this temple area, they're looking at the temple, and as they get, get out, Jesus uh, to the, on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So, they, they asked three questions of Jesus. Now, when Jesus is saying that this temple is going to be destroyed, and they said, tell us, when is this going to happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And so he begins to tell them the sign of his coming, when will this happen, and the sign of the end of the age. And as we read further along in Matthew chapter 24, he says that there's going to be a time when you're going to be handed over, you're going to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time many will turn away from the faith and they will betray one another and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. I just got to say, guys, that we're living in a time right now. We're living in a day right now. I mean, you couldn't have said this 50 years ago. You couldn't have said this 100 years ago. But we're living at a time right now where the availability and the ability to preach the gospel through radio and television and satellite and through cell phones and, you know, every method that we have, that we're, this is one of the first times ever in the history of the world where we have the ability to reach the entire world with just a simple broadcast. I mean, even remote villages in, in India and Africa, they're able to receive the gospel message. This is the first time, and Jesus said that one of the signs, one of the signs of his coming, that when you see this, you know that his coming is near. He's saying that when, when the gospel has the ability to reach the entire world, and then he says that, also during that time, now listen, let me just back up. He says, during that time or at that time, many will turn away from the faith. Many will turn away from the faith. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, God clearly says that in the last days, in the last days, many people will turn away from their faith. And they will be fooled by evil spirits and by teachings that come from demons. And then Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter as if from us, because the word had already got, gone out, 
that the, that the resurrection had already happened, that, that Jesus had already come back and had returned and gathered his people, and that was alarming to some. It would be alarming to you and I if we think we missed it. He says, I don't want you to be shaken or troubled by this. He says, let no one deceive you, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. He said, there's going to be a great falling away. He says, and the man of sin, first of all, there's going to be a falling away. And then he says, the man of sin is going to be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is, that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we know that that portion of that, he's talking about two things. Number one, there's going to be a falling away. Then the church is going to be removed. And then this, this lawless one, this, this son of perdition, will appear during this tribulation period. I'm going to cover that next week, but I want to talk about this apostasy first. There's two types of apostasy that the Bible talks about. One is the apostasy in the world. Now, uh, we've seen this, and just in my generation, you know, when I was a child, and when I went to school, when I was in school, we started off our, you know, when I was in elementary school, we started off every school day with prayer. My teacher would stand before the class and lead the class in a prayer. In that time, you could have the Ten Commandments was posted in the classrooms. Any of you remember that? Any of you go to school? If you would, just look around and keep those hands up for a second because there's another generation in here that can't even believe that this is possible. That you went to school, there was actually prayer in school, the Ten Commandments was posted in school, and you were able to talk about God. In 1962, prayer was outlawed in school, and in 1980, the Ten Commandments were banned from public school. We are living in a post-Christian and a post-Bible era. Let me just give you a couple of examples of that. In 2014, Lance Corporal uh, Monifa Sterling was convicted in a, by a court-martial at Camp Lejeune, Lejeune, North Carolina. Her charges included disrespecting a superior commission officer and four counts of disobeying a lawful order. She was reduced in rank and discharged was, uh, that followed her, making her ineligible for veteran benefits such as the GI Bill. Her initial appeal was denied last year by the Navy um, Marine Corps uh, Court of Criminal Appeals. She was charged and subsequently sentenced uh, stemming from a single Bible verse that she had taped in three various places in her cubicle. She was charged after refusing to take down the verse after her superiors and staff sergeant ordered her to. According to the court-martial document, her supervisors found the language combative. The verse that she had posted in her cubicle was this verse from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Court-martialed for having a Bible verse in her cubicle. 
And thank God that she had the courage, the boldness to stand up in an ungodly generation to those that would say, oh, we're, you're going to bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to bow with the rest of this world. They said, no, we're not. No, we're not. And when they didn't bow, the fourth man showed up in the furnace. Major General Craig Olson gave a 23-minute speech on May the, 7th, uh, May the 7th, National Day of Prayer. Uh, in the event, he said, God had enabled him to fly aircraft and manage programs worth millions or billions of dollars and sell weapon systems to the Iraqis. He also asked that the audience pray for the Defense Department's leaders who needed to humbly depend on Christ and to pray for the troops preparing to be deployed so that they can bear through that deployment by depending on Christ. Well, Mickey Weinstein, the CEO of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, wrote in May the 13th a letter to the Chief Staff General Mark Welsh demanding that Olson be court-martialed for violating an Air Force instruction prohibiting Air Force leaders from endorsing particular beliefs. The Bible is now considered hate speech by many, and there is a rise of atheism in our country. And then we see this in Hollywood. Katy Perry was raised in a strict evangelistic uh, home. Her father was a preacher, and uh, the family spent the majority of their time in church. And growing up, Katy was on the track to became, become a gospel singer. But she quickly rose to fame in 2008 with her song, I Kissed a Girl, which generated a lot of controversy since then. Katie has been open about her disdain for the Christian faith, saying in a 2013 interview, I don't believe in heaven or hell or an old man sitting on the throne. I believe in a higher power bigger than me that keeps me accountable. Kathy Griffin was raised in a Catholic home. She first began to develop a dislike for the religious organization at St. Bernardine's Elementary School. And in 2007, at an Emmy Award, Griffin made the headlines with her acceptance speech where she said, a lot of people come up here and thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award, award than Jesus. She said, this award is now my God. Brad Pitt was raised by two devoted Baptist parents. He sang in the church choir. In high school, Pitt's parents joined a more charismatic movement. Pitt became discouraged and now hovers between atheist and agnostic because he says the church experience was something he never understood. You know, there's a difference between a church experience and religion and having a relationship with God. George Clooney, go ahead. I mean, you can shout that out. George Clooney is the same way. I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if I believe in God. All I know is that I'm an individual and I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to, that exists, to be wasted. I'm not going to waste it on religion is what he was saying. Dublin actor. This kind of fits with what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Gabriel, uh, I think the, the last name is Byrne. 
is well known for going against his once strong Christian belief, but for an understanding and tragic reason, raised a strict Catholic, Byrne underwent sexual abuse as a child by a pair of Christian brothers. He again was abused by a member of the clergy while training to be a priest in England. This caused him to lose faith after five years in seminary. He has since said that he finds Christianity and the Catholic Church a force of evil in the world and has compared it to, Nazi, to the Nazi party. Byrne is now a proud atheist and speaks out against the church frequently. And this, again, is the, dis the, the difference. I mean, when people say this, they, they say that they've been hurt. I want to say what he was hurt by, he was not hurt by Jesus. He was not hurt by the Word of God. He was hurt by a religious organization and evil men that were in that religious organization. And that will hurt anyone. And, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you that when we depart from the Word of God and from the teachings of Jesus, we are treading in very dangerous waters. And God is saying to us, we, you know, he does, that's why Jesus had such an encounter with the religious leaders of his day. And it's why they plotted against him, because he was turning men and women away from religion and to a true relationship with God the Father. That's what he wants us to do today, not to be a part of the light at Mission Viejo, not a part of a religion, but be part of a relationship that only Jesus Christ can offer. The world has a tendency to kind of lump religion and Christianity together because the world cannot distinguish. Brad Pitt cannot distinguish the difference between a relationship with Jesus and a religious organization. But once you are touched by God, once you are touched by the Spirit of God, there is no going back. There is no going back to religion once you have tasted and seen how good the Lord is. So there's this apostasy in the world, and then there's an apostasy in the church. And Jesus is talking about this great falling away in Matthew chapter 24. And then Matthew chapter 25, he starts out with this parable, this parable of the ten virgins. And how the ten virgins were all waiting for their Lord. All ten of them were waiting. They were all in one little church group together, all waiting for the Lord. But then the word came out that the Lord is coming... And five of those virgins realized they didn't have enough oil in their lamps. And they, they said to the five that did have oil, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we can't do that because there may not be enough for us. You need to go to the people that sell oil and come back and, uh, you know, go get your own oil and then come back. Well, while they were away and they were busy and they were preoccupied getting their oil, their master showed up. Five weren't ready. Five were ready. He tells that parable after this story about the great falling away. There's an apostasy in the church today. Many churches are opposed to the gospel, to the word of God. Many churches who name the name of Jesus support abortion today. Many churches approve of the gay and lesbian lifestyle, which the Bible says is sin. Many churches approve of same-sex marriages, what the Bible is clear about, that marriage is only between a man and a woman that God accepts. Many churches do not believe in hell or the devil. Many churches today do not believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. 
many churches believe in universalism, which means that, you know, all religions are fine and all religions will get you to God. And, you know, that, that God is full of love and full of mercy. And no matter how you try to get there, in the end, it's all going to pan out. Everything's going to be fine and everyone is going to be accepted. The Bible goes on to say in, in this story in Matthew chapter 24, he says, not only is there going to be apostasy in the church, and I'm going to finish this one point right here, and then we're going to put this on hold until next week. But he says that in the last days, these signs, these signs that the disciples asked for, show us, he said, tell us what these, uh, you know, what the signs are, the signs of the destruction of the temple. When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And even in the Old Testament, you know, the rabbis believed that there was going to be an end of the age, that this age that we're living in would end, and then this new age, this new millennial age would begin. That's what they were asking about. When is this age, as we know it right now, when is this one going to end, and when is this next one going to begin? And Jesus is giving these signs. He says that one of them would be apostasy, and then he said, Another, another one of these signs would be that it's going to be just like it was in the days of uh, Noah and Lot. And he goes on to say, and if, you've, you know, if you, you ever try to put this together, Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 21 just kind of parallel each other. But before you get to Luke 21, Luke 17, you know, talks about something that is not covered in Luke 21, but both are covered in Matthew chapter 24. What I'm reading now is from Luke 17, covered in Matthew 24, but not in Luke 21, but it all fits together like a glove. And so he says that just before those last days, as those last days are approaching, he says it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. And uh, he says, and so also will it be as in the days of the Son of Man. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. It's going to be just like, just before Jesus comes back, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Well, what do we know about the days of Noah? We know that, that the thought of man was evil continually, that violence was rampant in the land. I mean, I don't know if you guys watch the news lately, but it seems like violence is rampant in this land. Vi violence is rampant in our nation. He says, and people... Listen to this. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered into the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It would be just like that in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Just like that. And so let's just think about it for a second. What was the sign of Noah and what was the sign of Lot? You know what? There really wasn't one. There wasn't really a sign. There, was, there wasn't a sign except for the sign of the way that people were living there was violence everywhere and sexual perversion everywhere. Everywhere. It's like that in America today. I mean, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I never heard the word transgender. 
I didn't even know what that meant. There, I mean, we're, we're learning new words all the time. We're learning these new words all the time. And he's saying that there was no sign giving. There was no real sign there except for violence and sexual perversion. And he says it's going to be just that way when the Son of Man comes again. And so we're seeing this over and over and over again. I want to tell you that this is a pre-tribulation sign. And the reason that I know that it's a pre-tribulation sign, he says that people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and they were buying and selling. You know, in the tribulation, some of these things are very close, but in the tribulation period, it says that over one-third of mankind during this seven-year period, the rapture comes, and then the tribulation period starts, the seven-year tribulation period. But during that seven-year period, one-third of this earth's population is destroyed. One-third of mankind, almost two billion people, will be destroyed during the tribulation period. There is a meteor disaster that begins, meteors begin to strike the earth. They strike the ocean so that the ocean is almost turned to like a blood. Uh, One-third of the ocean is destroyed. One-third of the fish in the ocean is destroyed. Meteor falls upon the waters of the land. One, the, the, the fresh water is completely destroyed upon the land. The earth is like an almost impossible to live in. The heat is scorching. Uh, it's, a, it's a scorching heat because of what has happened. And even the wind fails to blow. That You know that without the wind blowing, that's what the winds go out to the sea, gather the moisture from the sea, and God blows the winds back up on the land and, and scatters the rain and the showers that come from the clouds. But if there is no wind, there are no clouds, and the earth is actually burning up, and it's not a pleasant place to live. And in, in order to buy and sell during that time, you have to take the mark of the beast. It is not a, this is not a happy time. In the days of Lot and Noah, see, it was, there was a time of plenty. There was a time, you know, that you could buy and you could sell and you could build and you could marry and have, make joy and, and be happy during that time. And Jesus is talking about when he comes back, this is the sign that you're going to see. It's going to be like the days of Noah, and it's going to be like the days of Lot. I want to talk about more of this next week, but I want to remind you of something that he says in Matthew, in Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, this is from Luke 21. And so he tells us how to live our lives. And I'll come back and I'll cover this more in depth next week. But he says that these things are coming, and you can see the signs are everywhere. Remember that Jackson Brown song? Oh, people, look around you now. The signs are everywhere. You've left it for someone other than you to be the ones to care. I want to tell you that that's the way it is. We can get numb to what's going on around us, and we begin to think that this, this is normal. This, this is normal. I want to tell you that the world that we live in is not normal. This is not a nor normal world where women are killing, killing children by the millions in this land. That is not normal. That's what God calls sin. In those days, 
women would take their children and offer them to the god Molech. Now, Molech was this guy, I mean, it was this false god in the land, had a bull's head and a man's body, and his arms were outstretched like this. And if you wanted to worship Molech, you would bring your fresh, brand-new-born baby and lay it into the arms of Molech. But there was a fire behind him, and his brass bronze body was heated up to red-hot fire. And you would lay your little baby in the arms of Molech. And God said he hated the killing of children. I want to tell you that nothing's changed. God says, I am the Lord God, and I do not change. He still hates the killing of children. The Bible says that God looked down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says that it grieved him at the way that they were living. I'm going to tell you that God looks down upon America and this world, and what our political leaders try to tell us is politically correct, God is grieved about. And someone has got to cry out that this is sin and that this is wrong. And we do it in a loving way. We do it in a kind way. But God says that he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It, it breaks the Father's heart. And so we look at the story of Lot and we look at the story of Noah, and I'm going to just tell you that there is hope for this world and there is hope for the godly because while God destroyed the world during Noah's time, it says that he saved Noah and his wife and Noah's sons and their wives and placed them on an ark before the judgment waters began to fall, God put them in the boat and closed the door. And see, it was just like in the days of Noah. But how could you warn people of rain that have never seen rain? How can you tell somebody that I'm, I'm building a boat and God's going to send rain, but rain has never been on the world before? The Bible says that God watered the earth from the ground up, like a, like a moist, like a fog, is the way the world was watered then. And the Bible said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, telling them they needed to repent because God was bringing judgment. But they thought he was a foolish old man and didn't know until that first clap of thunder and the rain began to fall, and then it was too late. How can you warn people a fire falling from heaven that have never seen fire falling from heaven. How can you warn them and tell them that God is about to bring judgment? But they thought that Lot was crazy. But you know what I love about this story? We just read this a couple of weeks ago. These angels said to Lot, Lot, I got to get you and your family out of here because God will not allow us, these two angels, God will not allow us to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah until we get you out. I got to get you out. God said, I can't bring judgment here until I get the righteous out. That's what the rapture is about. 
That's what the rapture is about. God's saying, I'm going to get you out before I bring judgment upon this land. I want you to stand with me. We're going to finish this story next week, okay? I know you can't wait. So I want you to go home, and I want you to go read Matthew chapter 24, Luke 17, and Luke 21. They all fit together. They fit together like a glove. This is good stuff, guys. Father, we want to just bless you. One of the things that he says here, and I'll repeat this next week, but one of the things that he says here is that in the end, he says in Luke chapter 21, now he says, now be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of this life, and the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. Some of your translations say a snare. You guys know what a snare is? I don't know. Edward, you used a trap, but you, did you use a snare? You did. So a snare is like a piece of wire. It can be a string, and it's made in the form of a circle, and you put it in a trail where an animal would walk. And the animal would walk into the snare, and the, the loop begins to close. You know that animals don't like to back up? They, they won't back up. They'll keep going forward, and as they move forward, the snare continues to close. You know what the Bible says that backup is like? Backup is like repentance. I'm not going to go anymore. I'm not going to go that direction anymore. He says, but listen to what he says. He says that be careful or your heart will be weighed down with the carousing and drunkenness and anxieties of this life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a snare because you won't want to back up. You'll want to keep going forward, for it will come on all those. Listen, for it will come up on some of those, part of those. No, it's going to come up on all of those who live on the face of the whole earth. Anybody in here live on the face of the earth today? Okay. Or some of you do. All right. Some of you do. But it says it's going to come upon all of those. And so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm giving you a heads up. People, he says, I'm giving you a warning. This is a heads up that this is coming. And he says that it's coming on all of the on, on all of those that live on the earth. And then he says, here's your way out. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape, to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I mean, this is a warning for you and I that God, this is coming. You're asking me to watch and pray that I can escape these things, that my heart is not captivated by this world or the sin of this world or the pleasures of this world, that I don't fall in love with the world, that I would be able to stand before the Son of Man. I want to just pray for you in closing. And I know that, guys, if you're like me, it is easy for us to get busy with life. And we don't mean to, and we would never say this, but this is what we do. This is what you and I do. I wake up in the morning, and I've got a calendar, and I've got plans for what I need to do that day. And I know that, you know, my agenda is big. 
and nobody's going to do my work but me. And so what I'll do is I'll begin to think about what I have to do that day. And I'm like, Lord, I know I need to be praying. And God, I know I need to be reading your word right now. And I know I need to be seeking your face. But God, I'm going to put you on the back burner for just a little bit. Excuse me, God. But I'm going to get right back to you. And one day turns into two days. And two days turns into a week. And the next thing you know is God is saying, like he said to the people in Jeremiah that he spoke to, my people have forgotten me days without number. I don't want to be one of those people that forget God days without number. I do not want to be that person. I want to seek his face daily. And I want to pray that I might be able to escape all of these things that are coming up on the earth. And I want to pray for you right now. So if you'll just close your eyes and bow your head. Jesus said, when you see this thing, look up because your redemption is drawing near. And Father, I want to pray that we would be able, that I would be able to, and these people would be able to escape these things that are coming upon the face of the earth. And God, that we would be able to stand without shame before the Son of God. God, I pray that you would help us to live a life worthy of the call. Lord, that we would make it our aim to please you. Lord, that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength. Father, we need your help today. God, we can see that this world has got a tug on us and it's pulling us in different directions. Lord, right now, our hearts cry. Because Lord Jesus, save us and deliver us from this present wicked, evil world. Save us, deliver us, Heal us, Father. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. And God's people lifted up a shout of joy because our God is a great God. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to wrap this up and close it with one song. I understand if you need to leave, but our worship team is going to lead us in the chorus. spoke word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me and you have been so so kind Chases me down, fights till I'm found. 
Shadow, you won't light up. 